Amen. Always a special time to remember that we are so blessed to live within this nation um, that gives us so much freedom. As I was thinking on these things, I, I thought it appropriate to turn our attention to Romans 13. And we've been talking a lot about the, uh, the eternal and the ultimate kingdom, the kingdom of God. The kingdom that destroys and crushes all other nations and all other kingdoms. The only kingdom that is eternal is the kingdom of God. And we've been reminded in Daniel and Revelation of the ultimate and eternal and universal king, King Jesus. That one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we've been focusing on that eternal kingdom but the fact of the matter is, that kingdom has not been fully and visibly established today. That kingdom has come. It came with Christ who conquered sin, Satan, and death and his death and resurrection. But it's not yet fully realized. We don't visibly see Christ reigning on earth. One day we will. But we don't see it today. And so today we live as kind of dual citizens. Uh, we, we're citizens of heaven through faith in Jesus Christ, he's our ultimate king. But we're also, also citizens of this earthly kingdom known as the United States of America. And the question is, and it's been the question since the beginning of Christianity, how do we as Christians relate to the state? How do we relate to the government? And, you know, for the most part of our nation's history, um, the way of Christ and the way of Christianity here in the United States has been honored. To be a Christian is to be respected and to be honored. We are a country that was founded upon biblical principles and a Christian worldview. But we also know times are changing. I've had conversation with several, several military personnel who are now facing dilemmas in their service knowing they have ultimate allegiance to Christ and they're having to recognize and deal with things that go against God's word. And so they're living in that tension and the fact of the matter is we're all living with that tension today and I would imagine that it's gonna become an increasing tension in our life. And how do we deal with it? Now, let me say this. We, the things that are bothering us today, the vast majority of the world would just say they're, they're just little inconveniences. <laughs> in comparison with what most of Christians have dealt with throughout the history of Christianity. But the fact remains, nonetheless, that we're facing situations and decisions and things that we've never faced before, and how do we navigate this? And aren't you glad that God just didn't leave us to our own devices to figure it out? Aren't you glad that God's spoken to us in his word, and he's given us some directives, and he's given us some principles that show us how to live? And the beauty of Romans 13 is that Paul gives us some directives and some principles here that are universal, Meaning these principles work no matter where you live. They, they, they work no matter what government you find yourself under. So these are the principles that are to govern uh, our lives as believers. So what I want to do is I want to read them. Uh, let's look in Romans 13, verses 1 through 7, then we'll pray and we'll look at these principles. But look with me in Romans 13, beginning in verse 1. It says, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. 
Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you'll have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it's a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath on one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and we pray that you would illumine our hearts and our minds to the clear principles that are contained in this passage, that, God, we might apply them to our lives. That is our goal today, not just that we would gain more information, but that, God, you would continue to transform us more and more into the image of Christ so that we go out into this world, we would live lives that are above reproach, that we would shine like stars and people would see Christ in us. So mold us today by means of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit. Speak to us. And I pray if there's anybody here that doesn't know Jesus, never trusted in Christ, I pray that today they'd be reminded that there's only one perfect king and his name is Jesus. He gave his life for our sins. I pray that they would see him and his glory and his love today and they'd trust him. They'd turn from their sins and they'd trust him as their savior. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. So let's look at these principles. There's probably more than five, but I wanna highlight five of them today. Number one, we see here in this passage that God establishes governing authorities. God establishes governing authorities. You see it in verse one, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. More broadly, this, this passage uh, talks about authority. If there's two words that you see repeated in this passage, it's authority and submission. And I don't know about you, but in our sinful nature, the fact of the matter is, we don't like authority. Even the word itself, I think if we're gut level honest with ourselves, just the word authority causes us to recoil a little bit. We don't like authority, at the, you know, the the song that kept going through my mind this week, which I had hymns going through my mind and worship songs. I'll share one with you later, but there was another song. I fight authority, and authority always wins. John Cougar, Cougar Mellencamp. If, if Jim Fruth, Pastor Jim from Indiana, the great theologian, would have, would have appreciated that song, because anyway, Mellencamp's from India and Indiana. Oh, man, I'm all messed up now. The bottom line is we don't like authority, do we? In our sin and in our flesh, we don't like authority. In our sin and our flesh, our tendency is to rebel against all authority. That's what we have a tendency to do in our flesh. The default position of our lives apart from Christ is that we don't want God or anyone else telling us what to do. That, that's, that's the nature of the unbelieving world all around us. That's been the nature of the world since the fall of man in the garden with Adam and Eve. It's, it's demonstrated in Psalm chapter two when it says, why do the nations rage and the peoples devise a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us tear their fetters apart and let us cast away his cords from us. The, the thought of the world, the, the natural reaction and the default position of the world is we don't want any authority and we certainly don't want God or Jesus telling us how to live. Our default position as sinners is we want to do whatever we want to do. We want to live however, what we, however we want to live, and we don't want anyone telling us to do. The misconception of the world, this is the misconception of the world. The misconception is that the opposite of authority is freedom. 
That's what the world thinks. Just get rid of authority and now I have freedom. No, the opposite of authority is not freedom. The opposite of authority is anarchy. The opposite of authority is chaos. And this is why God establishes authority because we need, we need somebody outside of ourselves to tell us how to live. We need authority. Even pre-fall, prior to the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, God was an authority over them and gave them directives about how they should live. We, we studied this in Genesis chapter one. God told them prior to the fall, do this, don't do that. This is what you can do, this is what you shouldn't do. He was an authority governing them for their own protection. And certainly after the fall, now due to the fall in our sinful flesh, we have a tendency to rebel against authority. So God in his goodness establishes authority and government for our own good. You know, I, I think we, we tend to think of government as a bad thing. But the reality is, government is not the invention of man. Government is the invention of God. God establishes government. He instituted government in Genesis chapter 9. We studied it when we went through the book of Genesis. That God in his infinite wisdom and in his kindness towards us establishes government and authority, Jesus himself recognized this. You remember Jesus when he was before Pilate and Jesus was silent before Pilate and Pilate uh, who, was, who had a great authority. God had delegated authority to him. But here is Pilate in a position of great authority. You remember Pilate, he looks at Jesus who is silent and Pilate says to him, do you not realize I have the authority to crucify you or release you? And do you remember what Jesus said to him? He said, you would have no authority over me except that which has been given to you by my Father in heaven. But the important thing for us to see in that today is that Jesus was able to look past the earthly authority that was right in front of him and to be reminded that his Father in heaven was ultimately in control even over Pilate. And in many ways, I think that's what Paul is, is telling us to do in this passage is to look beyond the earthly authority that's right in front of us and to be reminded of the one who's ultimately in authority. This is so critical to our effectiveness as Christians in an increasingly pagan world. To look beyond the earthly to the eternal and to remind ourselves that our lives are not ultimately in the hands of any earthly king or even any democratic process, that our lives are in the hands of almighty God and he is sovereign over every governing authority. Now he may not be pleased, God may not be pleased with how a, a government acts or behaves, but make no mistake about it, he establishes all authority and he's sovereign over every governing authority. And the result is when we're able to view it this way, when we're able to look past the earthly authority that we see right in front of us with our own eyes and we remind ourselves of who's ultimately in control, when we view it this way, we begin, we begin to understand that our effectiveness as Christians and certainly the effectiveness of the gospel is not bound or tied down on the basis of who's in the White House, who's in control of the House or the Senate or who's even in control of the Supreme Court. This is a good reminder that God is sovereignly in control and nothing can bound or tie down the power of the gospel. Just ask the believers who are living in the persecuted world. They will testify to the truth and the reality that the gospel is powerful and no governing authority can prevent its effectiveness. It's amazing to me right now we... 
We have all the freedom we need to share the gospel. We have all the freedom we need to pray. We have all the freedom we need to serve our communities. And yet far too often we would rather sit around in our rooms and complain about the government. And I wanna be careful here because you can do all the complaining about the government you wanna do. Occasionally I complain about the government. But first, first we need to share the gospel. First we need to pray. First we need to serve our communities. And then you can do all the complaining you want. But the bottom line is, it, is this. All the complaining in the world will not change anything, but the gospel changes everything. And so the point here is look past the governing authority that's right in front of you and be reminded of who is ultimately in control over that governing authority and be reminded God established that authority. The second thing that we see here is that government is primarily established to restrain sin. It's primarily established to restrain sin. It's the purpose of government. If you look into Genesis chapter nine, whoever sheds blood uh, by man, his blood shall be shed. That's Genesis nine. The original intention of government is simply to protect those citizens and to punish those who would do evil. But, but here's the general principle of the passage. If you don't want to fear governing authorities, obey the laws. That, that's the general principle of the passage. You know, when I was growing up, uh, my dad was an authority that God had placed in my life. And my dad was a blessing to me. My dad was a safeguard to me. But I also knew if I disobeyed my dad, I had every reason to be very much afraid. In fact, the scariest words I ever heard growing up were, we'll just wait until your dad gets home and we'll let him handle it. Do you see the principle there? If I obeyed my dad, wonderful blessing. I love my dad. But boy, if I disobeyed, I had every reason to be afraid because he did not bear the sword for nothing. And the same principle applies to the governmental authorities. God in his grace knew that we needed the guardian of the threat of punishment to enable us to recognize the dangers of breaking his law. We need a police force because we are rebellious by nature. Listen, we are inclined to do evil things. That's who we are as sinners. Apart from God's grace and his protection in our life, we'll do evil things. See, the, the people out there who don't want a police force, they buy into a very dangerous lie. And it's a lie that Satan has been saying and telling us since the inception of man. And the lie that Satan tells us is that man is inherently good that man left to his own devices will just naturally do good things. That is a lie. The biblical reality is that every one of us in this room are sinners, myself included. And left to our own devices, apart from the intervention of God, we will not naturally do good things. We will do all kinds of evil things. Every one of us. And so we see that that God in his grace provides governmental authorities for the prevention of sin. Listen, if we had never sinned, we wouldn't need a police force. The existence of a police force is a constant reminder that we are depraved people. You know, the more I study this passage, the more I realize this, this passage is really about the doctrine of man, the depravity of man, that we are all sinners. And God, in his grace, 
puts people out there and authorities out there to remind us of the punishment that comes from those who break God's laws and rebel against his authority. Now, make no mistake about it. Do, do governmental authorities sometimes abuse their power? Yes, they do. Is God pleased with that? No, he is not. Should they be punished? Yes, they should. Because they are not above the law either. But the general principle here is that God has provided governing authorities to protect and to punish. In fact, in verse 4, you know what they're called? They're called ministers of God. Ministers of God to protect and punish. Now, that's the role of government. What's our job? Well, we find it here. Our job is to submit. That, that's, it tells us twice in the passage in verse 5, therefore it is necessary to be in subjection not only because of wrath but also for conscience sake. This is the second time Paul has told us to live in subjection to governing authorities. In every instance in scripture where the Christian and governmental authorities are brought up, the same word is always used, whether it's Peter or Paul, and it's always submit or live in subjection. Same root word in the Greek, it's the Greek word hupotasso, hupo meaning under, tasso, order or arrange, to order or arrange under. The focus is always on order. Without order, there is chaos. So God, in everything that he's instituted, he's always placed order. There's order in the family. There's order in marriage. There's order in the home. There's order in the church. There's order between the citizen and the government. And so God tells us, live in submission. So even though you and I are citizens of heaven, this does not mean that we get a pass, that we can disregard earthly authority. We're to live in submission. We're to be the best of citizens. And many people will read this and study this and say, well, that's good for Paul back in his day, but Paul didn't live in our culture. Paul didn't live in our day. No, he didn't. His culture was not like ours. His culture was far worse. And remember, Paul is writing to a group of believers who are suffering under the persecution of a guy named Nero. And if you study Nero, you'll realize the guy was a psychopath. You, you talk about unjust suffering under a governmental authority. Nero was the worst of the worst. He killed people on a whim. And you know who he really enjoyed killing? Christians. He loved killing Christians. And by the way, they were the best of citizens within that nation. And yet he just decided on a whim, I'm going to set up laws that are unjust and fair towards Christians. And I'm going to kill them when I want to kill them. And it's within that context, listen to me, it's in that context that Paul writes the Romans and says, submit, be the best citizens. This means, even though our citizenship is in heaven, guess what issue Paul brings up here? Even though we're citizens of heaven, you still gotta pay your taxes. And now you're like, Paul, you've gone to meddling, all right? You know, don't, don't deal with taxes. Few things get me more fired up than paying my taxes. Just ask my wife, every spring, I get grouchy. I'm mad about it. Because the government asks more of me than God does, and they do a far worse job. It aggravates me. Probably aggravates you too. But, you know what God says? It doesn't give you a pass. You can be aggravated all you want, but you still gotta pay your taxes. Because that's living in subjection to the governing authorities that God has established in your life. In fact, that's what he, he equates taxes to, the tithe, to a tithe. 
Look at verse six. For, this, for because of this you also pay taxes for rulers or servants of God devoting themselves to this very thing. So our, our attitude is to be one of honor and respect and submission to all authorities. And, and let me just say this as well. We must, we must teach our children to respect authority. Let me say this again. We must teach our children to respect authority. And not because, not because that person necessarily deserves it in and of themselves. But we teach them to respect that authority because we teach them that behind that authority is God who has established every authority. So we, you, we need to hear this. Parents, when you live in blatant disregard for authority, when you set that example, not only are you walking in disobedience to God, but you're teaching your children to do the exact same thing. We know this with kids. They follow example more than they follow words. In other words, how you live and what you do is far more important than what you say. The, the, the phrase is example is always better than precept. And so if you as a parent live disregarding authorities, do not be surprised if your children act the same way to authority in their life. This is so critical for us as believers to get. We must realize this. If we don't teach our children to recognize authority that they can see with their eyes, do we really think they're ever gonna recognize the authority of God that they can't see with their eyes? But when we honor authority, when we as believers and parents, when we honor authority, we're honoring God and we're teaching our children to do the same. And again, we honor them not because they necessarily deserve it. Because in and of themselves, that person that you're submitting to, they might not deserve it. They might not be the best of persons. But we submit to them because of, of a recognition of who's over them and who established them and the position that they have. Meaning, when a policeman or a policewoman pulls you over, you don't ask them if they've been reading their Bible every day. You, you, you don't even ask them if they're a Christian. As best you can, you seek to live in respect and honor and submission to their authority. So uh, from our policemen to the president, we're to be a people of honor and respect towards authority. We honor our veterans. We honor our military. We honor and respect our first responders, our policemen and our policewomen because they represent somebody a whole lot bigger than you and me. They're ministers of God. They are established by God for our protection. Now, here's the question. Is there ever a time when we disobey? Are we just to obey all authorities, no questions at all, just kind of willy-nilly, just meekly submit to every authority and whatever they give us? Well, Paul references it here in verse seven. It's actually a reference to Jesus in Matthew twenty-two twenty-one when he said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. When the time comes that Caesar invades the area that only belongs to God, that's when we draw the line. When Caesar, the government, tells us to disobey God, that's when we follow the example of the Hebrew midwives. You remember the Hebrew midwives? They were the ones who were told to slaughter every firstborn male. And what did those Hebrew midwives do? They disobeyed the king. Why? Because they knew they had a higher authority, God, who said, you shall not commit murder. And so we're going to follow God rather than you. 
and God blessed them. We follow the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were told, you've got to bow down to an idol. And they said, I don't think so. We only bow to God. And they said, well, then we'll throw you in a furnace. And they said, well, that's fine. God can deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're not bowing. We follow the example of Daniel. Daniel was told, stop praying. Daniel said, I don't think so, because God told me to pray. We'll throw you in a lion's den. That's okay, but I'm going to keep right on praying. We follow the example of disciples. You remember the apostles? Stop preaching. The disciples were said, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And you remember what Peter said? Whether it be right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Meaning we have convictions. We have lines in the sand that we will not cross. And when the government asks us to disobey God, we go with God every time. Now, as we, and that day may be coming, when we resist governing authorities, even in our resistance, our actions and our attitude is governed by the word of God. Meaning, even as you resist, you must exemplify Christ. And how did Christ resist when he was threatened? Although being reviled, he did not revile in return. In fact, if you've been watching the news, you've probably seen in Canada, there have been pastors who have recently been imprisoned for leading their congregations to worship publicly. And there is video of them being arrested. And in that video, you see men who resist, but they resist in submission to governing authorities. They're respectful to the law enforcement officers who put handcuffs on them and drug them away from their families. They went submissively, they went respectfully, and in that way, even in their resistance, they demonstrated Christ. That must be us. When the time comes, we resist, but even our actions and our attitudes of resistance are governed by God's holy word. But our, listen, our predominant attitude must be of honor and subjection and respect. And, and when we do this, you know what it does when we live this way? It silences our critics. When we live this way, it's called living above reproach. Above reproach means hands off, means there's no area that they can grab hold of our lives to give reason to not believe the message that we proclaim. Meaning that if, if persecution broke out in Kansas City this week and they told us that we could no longer gather for corporate worship, I pray that we'd be able to go to our governmental authorities and say to them, we are your best citizens. That's what we ought to be able to say. We ought to be able to go to them and say, we are your best citizens. And they would ask us, how do we know you're our best citizens? And we could point them to all the good work and the blessing that we have been to our community that surrounds us. That's called living above reproach in the midst of a crooked and depraved generation. That we shine like stars in the universe. We as Christians are not just called to be different, we're to be better. That they might not agree with us, but they can't disagree with our lives. 
Then finally, just two quick points here. They're not explicit in this text, but, but we need to hear them today. Number four, we are to pray for our government. Jot this verse down. We don't have time to look at it this morning. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 3. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 3, it says, First of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead, lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. It's a good reminder, church family, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We have to be careful about not making people our enemy. People are not our enemy. Satan is our enemy. This is a spiritual battle. And the spiritual battle that we, we are in will not be won by physical or earthly means. We, we fight this battle on our knees. That we must now more than ever become a praying church. We must pray like never before. Remember, there, the, the two greatest persecutors of the church in the first century were a guy named Saul and Herod. And you remember what God did with Saul? He just converted him. He just met him on a road to Damascus, shone the light of the gospel in his heart, and changed him from the inside out. But do you know what predicated his conversion? The church was praying. That's what scripture tells us. The church was praying. Listen, if we want to see our governmental leaders change, we need to be praying for them. We need to pray that our governmental leaders would come to faith in Jesus Christ just like God saved us and convert them from the inside out and change them. What would happen if we as all as a church family started daily getting on our knees and praying for our president and for all of our government officials that God would shine the light of the gospel into their hearts and change them from the inside out? Is that possible? Can God do that? Don't you dare tell me God can't do that. Do you believe in the power of prayer? Well, let's start praying. I mean, at the very best, God might convert some of them. They might be changed. How about that? And at the very least, God would change us. And God would change our hearts towards them. But either way, we need to be praying. Then, then finally, the one last thing I want to say to you this morning. We need to remember, in the midst of all this, we need to remember that one day Christ will reign over everyone forever. One day Christ will reign over everyone forever. His rule is universal and absolute, and one day it will be visible. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day there will be no more politics and there will be no more religion, only Jesus Christ, priest and king, reigning perfectly over his people. Amen? We live in a broken and fallen world. Boy, every day we see the brokenness of our world. I don't know about you, but every day I see the brokenness in my own life. And the only hope we have is something called the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. There is only, there's only one form of government that ultimately works. 
There's only one perfect government. Every other government form, I like our form of government, but it ain't perfect. It's got all kinds of flaws. There's only one form of government that ultimately works, and it's based on a divinely born person who is God and became a man and died on a cross for our sins, and he defeated death in his resurrection, meaning he physically lived, physically died, was physically placed in tomb, and we cannot find his body because he was raised. He defeated the grave, and he's ascended to the right hand of the Father. Now, you know what he's doing today? Do you know what he's doing today? He's coming to individuals and people in their life and he's shining the light of the gospel in their heart and he's calling them unto himself. Justin got baptized this morning. You know what, that is what God is doing. He's meeting people in all kinds of places. He's shining the light of the gospel into their hearts and he's changing them from the inside out. And you know what he's commissioned us to do? He's commissioned us, us as his people to go out in that world and tell people that just as Christ changed us and the gospel transformed us, that the gospel can transform them. That's our job, that's our role, that's what we do. And we tell them, you need to bend the knee to King Jesus. You need to trust in Christ. Why? Because one day he's coming back. And when he returns, he will not return as the dove bearing peace. He will not return as a baby in a manger. He will not return as the lamb to die. He will return as the king of all kings. And he will judge the world and he will reign over his people. And all those who have submitted to Jesus Christ, who have bent the knee to him and repented of their sins and turned to him, they will rule and reign with him forever. This is God's word, not Chad's word. They'll rule and reign with him forever. And those who have not bent the knee will be cast into the eternal lake of fire. And his kingdom will know no end. He'll reign forever in perfect righteousness and peace. Now here's the question today. Do you know King Jesus? Have you submitted to Christ? You know, all this passage, it deals with authority and submission. And, and we don't like those words, do we? There's probably two no more, to a sinner, more repulsive words in the English language than to then authority, and then you gotta submit. But to a believer in Jesus Christ, there's no two more beautiful words, is there? To recognize that he's the ultimate authority and to realize he's a really good king and to realize that his laws are given to us not to hurt us or prevent us, but to protect us and give us joy and life and peace. That true freedom's not in found in jumping the, the fences and breaking his rules. That freedom is found in living in accordance to his will. That's the only place you find peace, is under the reign of King Jesus. And so those of us who know Christ, we realize that Jesus is a great authority. And his authority is a blessing and a safeguard to us. And there's no joy like submitting our lives to him and handing over our life and saying, God, do with me more than I ever thought possible. Do you know that king? Have you given him your life? He came for you. He died for you so that you could know him, so that you could submit to his reign and his rule and you could know his joy and his forgiveness. Every week as I'm studying, I have worship songs that I listen to. This week I have been listening to uh, a group called Shane and Shane. They, they actually sing the Psalms. They got Psalms and albums, Psalms 1, Psalm 2. They just sing the Psalms, but they've got some other worship songs on their album. And this one just kept, it's not a song that they wrote, but it just kept playing in my mind. As I thought about my lost condition and how God converted a rebel to himself, this resonated with me. Maybe it'll resonate with you. I once was lost in darkest night 
yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy in life had led me to the grave. Is that you? You've been following your own desires, your own will, thinking that it is gonna give you life and peace. And it may give you little glimpses of peace in life. You'll have these little moments, but they're fleeting and they always lead you right back into a place of brokenness, don't they? It says, I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. If you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hell-bound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. Isn't that amazing? Even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins, God loved us. You need to know this today. Even if you don't care anything about God, he loves you. And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. Now, Lord, I would be yours alone and live so that all might see. The strength to follow your commands could never come from me. Oh, Father, use my ransom life in any way you choose and let my song forever be. My only boast is you. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus is my life. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word that is so powerful. It's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And God, I pray that if there's anybody here today that doesn't know a personal relationship with King Jesus, I pray that they would know today you're a prayer way. I pray that you would reveal the depth of their own sin that all of us, apart from faith in Christ, are rebels and sinners. We're children of disobedience. That's what we're inclined to do. But God, even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins, you loved us. You sent your son Jesus to die for us so that we could be changed. So that through faith and repentance, by trusting in you and turning from our sinful way, we could be reborn, changed from the inside out. God, I'm praying right now, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, never turned from their sin, never trusted in Christ today, they would know the joy of submitting their life to King Jesus. God, for those of us that do know you, I pray that our lives would represent you well. That's what we are. We're ambassadors of heaven here on earth, ambassadors of the ultimate and eternal king. And I pray that every aspect of our life as we interact with government officials, God, that every aspect of our life would demonstrate that we ultimately submit to the only perfect king and that nothing about our lives would distract people from the hope of Christ God, help us to live above reproach. Help us to live pure and holy lives so that when we preach the gospel, our lives would lend credibility to the message we proclaim. God, make us not just different, but better. Better husbands, better fathers. Better mothers, better wives. Better families, better citizens. Better employees, better students. So that in every area of our life, we'd glorify Jesus. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen.